Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to say a quick thank you for supporting the podcast. And if you'd like to advertise your business on the podcast in a slot just like this, please contact me at fisticuffs underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Right. So here we are with Claire Riley. How are we doing, my friend? How are you getting on? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How are you finding training at the minute? How are you holding up? Um, I'm actually training more than I normally do because I'm doing online classes. So because I've got to do the online classes, I have to actually train in them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting point as well, because normally you're in the coaching seat, whereas now you're getting a bit more stuck in with it. How are you finding that transition most of the time? How do you find time to fit in your own training, like pre-lockdown? Um, yeah, it was quite hard, actually. Um, I, you ask most coaches, I think their training goes out the window. Um, so to try and keep up some sort of level of training is very difficult. Because if, you, if, you, if you're in the gym all day and you're training people, the last thing you want to do really is then go and train yourself. You just want to go home. So it is quite hard to get the motivation to train, but it's there. Well, this is it as well. I remember um, speaking to JB about that, and he was saying, I've got a choice. Either my fighters get fit or I get fit. And I think, you know, he's actually got a point there. Like, it depends on what your priority yeah. is. Regardless of... Um, yeah, no. Oh, carry on. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, you have to make time. You literally have to make time for yourself. Um, because I've always... If I don't train, I don't get down. Well, I suppose I do get down. If I don't train, then I'm definitely not myself. So I have to make time for myself to train. Otherwise, it just goes downhill. I mean, that's an interesting side to sort of coaching and everything else is where you find that time and where you make that time. Because half of it is you're meant to set an example for your like students and stuff. I say students in a sort of formal sense, just to call them something else. But more in a sense of, I don't know, it's a weird gray area of prioritizing the teaching versus the, the marketing side of it. Like, how have you found that sort of, I don't know, that balance as such, like when you first started coaching as such? Um, well, I do like to lead by example. So everything that I get my uh, students to do, I make sure that I've done it myself so I know that it's actually achievable. I do see, you know, in the past I've seen some coaches training some people and I'm thinking, you have not done that yourself. You, all you are asking them to do is virtually impossible. You're going to kill them. So uh, my, my ethics in training is I won't ask anyone to do something that I know I can't do myself. I mean, the, oh, that, I, that I have done myself because I can't do everything. <laughs> I mean, I still I have a PT session myself with JB every Saturday to keep my training, just to keep me hitting the pads, you know. I mean, is this one of those yeah. ones? It's good that you're putting yourself in the deep end as well in that sense. Like, for anyone listening who hasn't had a session with JB, you know you've had a session with him <laughs> if you've ever had it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, regards of your um, training, I then, sorry, I... carry on. A bit of a delay still. No, no, go on, you go, you go. So, in regards of your training, then, because what point did you start coaching? What was like the turning point in your own training, like competing to then turn into coaching? Um. So, I well, I used to train with Lee Hasdell. He was so he was my coach, and the club that we trained at was called SSJ Shin Senjutsu, which stands for New Style Fighting, and. Um, I was training and fighting at the time, and there was a, I think there was a time where, because um, Danny used to train with us, as obviously I 
started off with Danny as well. He was he was my training partner, um, Danny Batten. But there was a time when Lee was either working away or something, and the classes couldn't get taught because he had to go off on an emergency night. So I started taking the classes, um, and it, that's that's how it that's how it started. And then I really enjoyed it. So I carried on, but then I was fighting then as well. So it was hard to get that balance of training and teaching. Now, we'll go jump around timelines again, just because it's easy to sort of do it. But at what point, how would you manage to make that time? Because we, we were talking about initially how right now being pretty much a full-time coach and then finding your own time to part-time train. But flipping it on its head, how did you find, how did you manage to prioritize that really? Well, the part, my, I prioritised my fight training because that's what I was doing then. I mean, I was only coaching a little bit then. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I was only taking the odd class here and there. Um, but as the time went on, um, you know, and I stopped stopped fighting, um, started teaching more, and then you know, I think as a coach, especially if you've if you've been a fighter, you get enjoyment out of seeing your students coming up the ranks, and um, you know doing well in their fighting as well. That's kind of where you get your um, kicks from, I suppose, from the fighting when you stopped, when you start seeing your students doing well. Yeah, it's good. If you pardon the pun. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realise I said that. <laughs> so at what point of your like, fighting career were you at when you started coaching? Have you, because you've had quite a, Decorated career as well. So, tell you what, let's, let's go back to the start. How did you get into martial arts in the first place? Um, I've always been sporty. I start, started off doing, um, I was doing gymnastics when I was very young, and then I went into swimming and high diving, and then after that, I was doing athletics. So, I've always been into sport. And then I joined um, David Lloyd Health Club in Milton Keynes when it first opened. This was back in 97, I think, about then. And they started doing, Lee Hansel was doing kickboxing classes up there, so I thought I'd give that a go, something new. Um, and that's how I got into it. I just enjoyed it. It was, was like, wasn't like any other sport that I'd done before. Um, the fitness was on another level, um, and it really pushed me. Oh, if you can hear that noise, that's my dog in the background. <laughs> <laughs> She's snorting. Um, yeah, when um, it, when I started doing the kickboxing, it was on a totally different level of fitness. I'd never been through anything like that before, and I liked it because I do like to be pushed. So that's how I got into it, really. Um, and then after about three years of training, um, I got asked if I wanted to compete. There was a local show in Bletchley, and um, and it started off there. I won that one and enjoyed it. The, the experience was amazing. It's, it's a chicken and egg, the experience. I don't think that's the right word. It's um, a contradiction because, you know, Dan, the experience after the fight, and the fight is amazing, but what you go through before the fight is horrendous. <laughs> it is polar opposites. <laughs> it's horrible. Totally. And I'm talking, I'm talking the day. I'm talking on the day. I'm not talking about the training. The training for fighting is crazy. Um but the feeling that you have on the day of the fight is horrendous. For me, some people it might not be, I don't know, but the nerves the nerves, and continuously arguing with myself, standing in the changing room saying, you don't need to do this to yourself. You don't need to, you should just go, no one would notice. <laughs> but then you put yourself in the ring or the cage, you have your fight, and the feeling is absolutely amazing. So you I mean, go and put yourself through it all again. 
Like, there's a few, so many things I want to get into with this. So when you first started, you went from doing different sports. And when you went to do kickboxing yeah. then, did you see it as doing a sport or doing a martial art? Like, was it a fitness thing or was it like a self-defense skill thing? How did you see it when you initially went into it? I purely saw it as a sport. I wasn't into martial arts at all. Um, I did Kayakashinkai when I was about 13, and it was so brutal. Oh, God, that's, that's, a, that's brutal, that is. Um, and I did that for about six months. Um, and I just got battered, so I kind of gave that up. <laughs> um, but I definitely didn't go into it because it was a martial art. I went into it because it was a sport, and it was just a class that they were doing at, at the leisure, at the um, at David Lloyd, and I just loved it, absolutely loved it, and then started doing it four or five times a week. I went in from there. How soon into it did you start doing sparring and everything else? Because obviously you're going there for the fitness and like the pads and all the rest of it. At what point are you getting the gloves yeah. on and like you know, beating the shit out of your friends? <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I guess it was probably six months. But man, do you know what? I can't remember it so long ago. Because um, after being at David Lloyd, there was extra classes in another in another leisure centre. So that was where the sparring then took part. Um, and um, sparring's a funny thing. When you start training, when you get into let's you know a martial art, kickboxing, MMA, Thai boxing. Um, there's different levels of training. So you start off doing it for the fitness. Uh, you're a bit worried about sparring. And I think the hardest thing to get over is hitting somebody when you first start training. Nobody wants to hit somebody. It's not a natural thing. Well, it might be for some people, but not generally. It's not a natural thing to hit somebody. And I think the reason you don't want to hit somebody is because you're going to get hit back. So um, getting over being hit is one of the hardest things, but, you know, it's not as bad as you think when you get hit. Um, so once you get over that and you get into sparring, then you can start sparring intelligently, I think. It's different levels when you start getting more into it. You know, there's different levels of training. So regards of everything else in that sense then, so you've taken it as a sport, you get stuck in with it, you really enjoy it. And you start sparring. And then yeah. how did you deal with that sparring thing? Because you say it like it was a, I don't know, pretty straightforward thing. Were you? How did you find the transition to getting hit in the face and getting on with Oh, my it? God, it was not a straightforward thing. Because it was so well a straightforward thing. Because when I was training, when I then went, when, when we started getting, you know, more serious into the sport, started competing, uh, my sparring partners were men. There was hardly any girls doing it. There was a few girls in the club. Um, but there wasn't really any competing. So my main my main training partner, my sparring partner, was Danny Batten at the time. And um, we had some amazing ses sessions. We had some brilliant sparring sessions. We used to batter each other, but in a in a productive way. Way. <laughs> um, um, but it was all guys, so it was it was tough. It was very tough. And then we used to go to a place called Rough and Ready. Um, and you had a podcast with. Danny Mack and Tom Lancaster, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. The other day, and they, men they mentioned about about going up to Rough and Ready. It's a club in um, it's a, I think it's still there actually in Northampton. And Lee used to take us up at the weekends to spar because our um, facilities was literally a room. We had no, we had no rings, no no bags, no nothing. <clears throat> so he used to take us up there at the weekends, and I used to shit myself. <laughs> 
every Saturday it was just, oh, it was tough. It was so tough because we used to train with other people that we, we weren't used to because other clubs used to come up there as well. Um, and it was just very hard sessions. And so many times I've come out of that, I had to get carried out the ring a few times. <laughs> um, there were some tears. But, it, you know, it toughened me up. You know, they say um, train hard, fight easy, and that's definitely how it was. Again, you said that all very like, oh, yeah, it's just how it happens. And again, you, you're under, <laughs> underselling what you're, you've been through. Talk, what carried out the ring? What do you mean? Have you been, like, knocked out and they need to pick you up? Is it you're throwing up? Are you just, like, collapsed? What what you, what, what do you mean? Uh, Expand, <laughs> please. Uh, I'm scared. I've never, do you know what? Do you know what? I've never been knocked out. The closest I've ever been to being knocked out was, um, I used to train a lot with Fraser Opie, um, and he jabbed me once, but I came into the jab. That's the closest I've ever been to being knocked out. That was awful. Um, but what, sorry, I'm digressing now. I go back to what I meant was just injuries, shin checks, um, winded, just literally getting beaten up in the ring. Um, but it was tough. It was very tough training, but it was it was really good. But on but yeah, there was definitely a few times I got carried out because I just couldn't stand up anymore. Low kicks, you know, constant low kicks. These guys are all big. But Lee used to say to me, "I chose this sport. I need to uh, deal with it." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and regards of I keep saying regards, but these sort of things. When it comes to being the girl in a mainly male-dominated sport, especially at that point. How did you find, I don't know, finding inspiration, finding that kind of guidance? Did you have any sort of, I don't know, role models as such in the sport to give you some sort of blueprint? I don't know. Uh, See what I mean? No. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, I, I've kind of, in most of my things that I've done in life, I only, re only realised this the other day, I have gone into a male-dominated um arena should i say in some jobs you know i was a before i did coaching i was a photography assistant in big studios doing all the cars so we was doing all the lighting and everything that was completely male dominated i was the only female in that as well and um, so a lot of the roles i've taken in my jobs and everything for some reason i choose male dominated um uh things but i would say it was tough actually um uh, the guys were fine. The guys were great. I never got any problems with me being the only girl, but it was just the, the training was hard. Because I did do um, jiu-jitsu at one point, Japanese jiu-jitsu, and I just found it almost impossible because the guys were just... The big guys, you know, um, there was no girls. There was probably... There was one other girl doing it at the time. Um, even travelling around when we used to go around, there was just no girls doing it. So it was it was just tricky. That side of it was tricky, but yeah, not a problem really. And this is something certainly for like the current female athletes now who have similar issues. Like commonly, you'll hear the same sort of problems of guys either spar with girls too hard or not hard enough, and it's finding that kind of middle ground. I mean, it seems like you've got more of a latter of getting hit too hard, but other than that, <laughs> it's these kind of I don't know. It's it's really important I think for other girls getting into sports to you know know there's I don't know, like the end of the tunnel, you can have success with it and you yeah. can build through it and everything else. And especially leaving from a good... Oh, yeah. You're, you're not saying anything to anyone in the gym. You've not put yourself through yourself. 
No, I mean, I, I said there was no rat, female uh, role models. There was a few. I mean, my favourite fighter was Lucia Riker. Um, she was amazing. Um, so you did have uh, there was there was a few in the UK at the time. There was Lisa Houghton Smith. She was doing great. So um, there were a few female role models to look up to, um, but not in the immediate area. So. Um, yeah, it was quite. Like I say, there were females in the class that I used to train with, um, but wasn't many actually competing. So I mean, the training that we went through as well. If you ever spoke to, to Danny about it, the training that we used to do was was just crazy. It was um, it was another level. The stuff that we had to put, you know, that our coach put us through, which was it was brilliant and it served its served its purpose well because we were the fittest that we'd ever been. Um, but it was tough, really tough training. And this, I'm not on about sparring, I'm on about outside of training that we had to do. Sprint in, woods, hill sprints, um, all sorts. Now, that kind of conditioning side then, is it group activity? Is it stuff you tell you to do yeah. in your own right? Is it one-to-one -one sessions? How have you, how's this sort of arranged normally? Um, well, we were quite lucky because um, we had, we were told to do, you know, even now, when people are fighting, the, the training that you get in the gym is um, its only a fraction of it. You have to do so much of your training outside um, because the coach can't be there 24-7, you know, and you've got to train six days a week, um, sometimes twice a day. Um, but we were quite lucky that um, our coach, I say we, I'm, talking, I'm only talking about Danny because I know that you know, know him as well. Um, our coach used to do all the training with us, and he was—I think he was a PT in the in the army at some point—and so he'd make us do all this army crazy army stuff. Um, so we'd have to do that. We'd have to go to a running track. We'd have to do 400 meter sprints. Um, so we'd have to because there was no uh, smartphones or watches or anything back then. So we used to have to do a 400 meter sprint get our heart rate down to 120. As soon as it was down, we had to go again. And we had to do that nonstop. We had to do that once or twice a week. And we'd go running in the woods with 20 kilo plate weights in a backpack, doing hill sprints. We had to piggyback each other up and down the hills. Um, it was just all stuff like that. But he, our coach was doing that with us. So that was quite a good thing, actually. So talk to me through like, <laughs> like out, life outside of training at that point. Are you working at that point? Are you just full-time training? How are you like, because this is, sounds sustainable to an extent if you're doing that full-time, but were you doing anything else outside of that? Like this sort of, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I had a full-time job in an office at that time. Yeah, oh, and so, uh, yeah, I think a half of it I was working in a photographer's and um, when I left that, I went into an office. So, yeah, full-time job as well. But I think everyone had full-time. Yeah, there was no way of making a living at fighting then because it was new. It was all new. So that you couldn't... Well, I don't know if there was anyone making a full-time living doing fighting back then. I mean, it's not like it's changed still. Like, it's still quite hard to make a full-time living, like, now fighting. Yeah. And yeah, it's still so hard, yeah. What was it like in the office, like coming in with black eyes and the rest of it? They must have thought it was like Fight Club almost, or you'd, um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that ha uh, there was one time where um, I competed in the very first female ringmasters. I think it was 2009, something like that. Um, that was a very brutal day. Um, anyone who's done ringmasters knows how tough it is. Um, and I got to the final with Hayley Jane Clarkson, and she's a great fighter. Um, that was just such a tough fight. But after, after the whole day, I'd had three fights. Um, and at the end of that day, I had two big black eyes, big fat nose, fat lip, and I had a meeting the next day with new clients because I'd just gone self-employed. So I had a meeting the next day. I had to phone them up and explain what was going on because I looked like I'd been uh, a domestic abuse victim or something. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it can get quite tricky, yeah. <laughs> um. So if we fast forward then, so you've started coaching whilst you're fighting and then we end fast forward now to BST. So yeah, what was the transition to BST like? Did you go when Danny did? Did you stay with Lee for a while? What was your timeline with that? Um, no, I was teaching and training at SSJ for a long time, probably 15 years or so. Um, and then SSJ stopped. Um, and there was a bit of a time where I was training at Immortal. There was a temporary gym in Milton Keynes. And then I had to move to Northampton, not because of DST, but I had to move there for, um, I just was coming up here for other reasons. And um, I was still in contact with Danny, and he mentioned that BST were looking for a female coach. So I went in and spoke to Greg. And... Um, yeah, they took me on. So the day that I moved into Northampton, the next day after I started work at BST, so it was just perfect, perfect timing. Um, I was training at BST anyway. I was coming up, uh, I'd started doing the boxing with Lee Edwards um, because, and and I was doing Naksu with JB, but when I started boxing with Lee, I thought I was a quite a decent boxer. I'd never had any boxing coaching, boxing on its own. And I thought I was okay, but as soon as I got into leave class, I realised that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he put me right. So I was training at BST anyway, and then um, just made the transition. Yeah, it's good. Uh, going to you started um, a female self defence class. What inspired that? Is it something you felt was missing in your own like upbringing? Do you feel it's something that's important in a modern day sort of thing? How? Where did that come from? Right. Well. To be honest, that was um, initialised by Greg. He wanted to do Greg's, who you know, who um, along with Danny manages BST. Um, he's a great person for caring the community lessons. You know, trying to help people in the community. So he wanted to put a class on for ladies. Uh, self-defense he'd wanted to do it for a long time and I felt that it was a good thing to do as well for obvious reasons um, it was a free self-defense class um, and then unfortunately there was a tragic event in Northampton where a young girl um, was murdered and the classes just went crazy after that um, so yeah that's why we carried it on but yeah they're good they're a good initiative yeah I remember I went to school with that girl and it's just one of those things yeah that so much more like personal and so it makes you remind you sort of mortality and how vulnerable you can be because you see all these sort of girls at nights out who get way too drunk and never laugh with their mates and it's all well and good yeah. when it, they go home safe but the reality is it yeah. doesn't always happen and 
I mean, yeah. it's good to have a bit more of awareness. Not necessarily be in fear and stuff, but just be aware and have a bit more, yep. I don't know. I think that's yeah, what oh, that, 100%. Like, gives people as well as that kind of, that more awareness, I feel. Because you get people saying about, oh, if I was in a fight, I'd do X, Y, and Z. And thinking, okay, if you spar and get beaten, I'd be like, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> so. No, no. Yeah, I'll, I totally agree with you. It's about having the awareness because one thing we teach about in self-defense, it's not just the art of self-defense. It's, it's everything that goes with it, you know, the, the decisions you make on a night out, um, not putting yourself in that, that position, that situation in the first place. There's a lot that goes uh, with self-defense other than just an act, you know. Um, but being aware, it's massive, that's a massive part of it, yeah. Couldn't agree more. In regards to self-defense as well, have you done much... I don't know, training out externally to sort of develop on your skills and that? Is it all things you've applied in your own life? How have you helped, I don't know, give your input on it all? Yeah, um, it's a mixture of both. I have done quite a few different courses on self-defence. So I was a student myself um, because it's it's just good getting knowledge from, every, you know, from other places. Um, and then just with regards to my uh my own experiences with tie boxing um but personally um uh, i think one of the best self defenses for a lady is brazilian jiu jitsu um i've worked with magda um magda kudzik who's part of bst as well i've worked along with her we did some classes but brazilian jiu jitsu is one of the best forms i think for women because you know unfortunately one of the main positions that a man tries to get a lady into is on the floor and it's the best way to get out of it so yeah shout out to magda so anyone who doesn't know who magda, magda is she is a small polish lady who will choke you unconscious <laughs> very if you see, if you see her in training you'll see sizable fully grown men tapping submitting yeah. to her because she is an absolute savage and for anyone listening yeah. as well they're not doing that by choice. They haven't got any choice. She's, um, yeah, she's ruthless. And it's so yeah, important, she's, I think. She's, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Mads has tapped a few people out that you would never imagine she would. <laughs> and a big thing that's been with jiu-jitsu is the idea of a smaller person being able to defeat a larger person. And co concepts yeah. of self-defense, there's loads of people different, like, ethoses and different sort of ideas of what's the best ways of doing things, but ultimately foundationally you need to have some sort of skills to then do something because you know yeah. whatever way you want to do it you need to do something and practically yeah, something no, you can right. practice and practice with resistance is something you'll be able to apply a lot easier because it's all well and good doing your fancy like crab maga kind of spinning around stuff but unless you practiced it a thousand times with resistance mm. yeah i just think if you if you feel like you you can kind of handle yourself um, then your confidence is mass you know it increases so much and normally if somebody is walking around with an air of confidence about them they generally get left alone um, but also you know in martial arts what martial arts should teach is you know you need to walk away from outside of training you shouldn't be getting into these situations I mean I can't stand fighting outside of training I hate it when people start because people automatically assume that you love fighting in general and i hate it <laughs> I, I mean apart from the sport what i mean is you know like people outside in the street and on a night out i can't stand it it's embarrassing yeah the problem's appalling <laughs> it is it's, embarrassing. it's totally embarrassing yeah can't stand it. and when people start talking to me about it it's even worse 
what do you mean talking to you about? Like, it's like breaking okay. it down as it's going on, saying, I oh, know, like, trying to corner them whilst they're having to scrap outside MVs or something. Yeah, well, if someone's had a fight, let's say someone's been on a night out and they've had a fight and they start telling me about it, thinking it's impressive, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> it's totally the opposite. Just, I oh, it's embarrassing. That's one thing I really wanted to get into speaking to you about, Claire, is the way you hold mm -hmm. yourself, because you've got this, like, really pure air of confidence around you of you know you have a big smile you're approachable when it comes to coaching as well and it's a very genuine kind of confidence like very coachable kind of confidence how where's that come from is it something you've just developed is it something someone's instilled in you is it something you've picked up through coaching just that i don't know um you see what i mean i think, think yeah thank you for saying so um i think it's probably through coaching and just through life in general really um i think the main thing you've got to do is not care what people think about you, which is quite hard to do for a lot of people, which I totally understand. Um, but I don't know, really. Um, I think maybe because I've had to put myself through, well, you know, we were talking about a male-dominated environment. I've kind of have to, I've had to fight, I've had to, had to fight my way through that. So, with regards to people coming to me for PTs and everything, they've got the, op the option of going to a lot of the other guys. Let's, let's take it for face value. It's a fighting sport. It's fighting. Um, and they've got the options of going through all the other coaches, which are, apart from Maddie, you know, they're all guys. Um, why, why have they chosen me? Um, some people think that maybe because they're going to get an easy session, but they don't get an easy session. Um, and I just think... And people do come to me, and that's 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 nice, it's nice to know. And I, I think that gives you a bit of confidence. But I think I've coached quite a few people. Not coached. Um, I like doing the strength and conditioning side of things with the fighters. You know, we've had some great fighters through. Um, you know, uh, Fraser Opie is one of them. He's a very very good friend of mine, one of my best friends. Um, um, back in the day, we had Roman Weber. Weber um, and, you know, Danny as well. Um, these guys, they're at a very high level. Um, and I used to get, get to go through their fitness and stuff with them. And, it, you know, Jefferson's last fight as well, I went through a lot of his strength and conditioning with him. Um, um, and I just love doing it. And then when you see the results at the end of it, it's just, it's good. It's, um, it's very rewarding. Now, there's a few things with that He's I still want to into. Is, um... There's, with that, because again, being male yeah, being male dominated, and then trying to have your own. How do I explain it? Having your own, yeah. I don't know, ISP kind of thing. Having your own niche and also having your own value and stuff. How do you feel? I own. Tell, tell, tell you what. Yeah, what, I own value. Here, yeah. Here's a question for you. That's it, yeah. Why should people go with you opposed to anyone else at BST? Not put them down, but what makes you you? As a coach. Um, experience, because um, I suppose because I've been through it, um, I'm a good pad holder. <laughs> um, yeah, I think because I do, do think strength, uh, the, the experience as well, and I know what a fighter, how they should be training um, and what they should be doing in their training. Um, it's just knowledge, I suppose. 
Um, and I'm quite personable, I guess. But um, having the having knowledge of how they should be training counts for an awful lot. It's so it's sport specific. Obviously, uh, with our sport is fighting. It's an explosive um, sport. So each round, you've got you've got your explosive training in that round. Then you have a minute's rest. Then you go again for two, three, five minutes, whatever your fight is, and then you rest. So you have to train to that ability. There's no use in going for, well, I mean, it does help, but there's no use, use in doing all your training when you're going for long runs, you're going for like 10K run or so. The round is not one long round at a, at a steady pace. The round is an explosive, it's explosive fitness, and that's the sort of training that you should do. Um and, the, and also the way that the body moves in the, the the things that you're doing with regards to punch punching where you're punching from from you know your leg legs the explosive power in your legs everything there's just a lot to go through and there's a lot to know what what sort of exercises to do and I think if you've been through it yourself you know what they're doing. Certainly, there's a lot to take from that. I'm rambling, aren't I, Dan? No, no, no. It's a podcast, not an interview. You, you feel free to go off on tangents and expand on your points. Don't <laughs> feel the need to keep things in any sort of box and stuff. <laughs> no one put baby in a corner. You're not in the box. I just You're don't, all good. I don't stop. <laughs> this is all good. But yeah, with that, it's really important what you emphasize there is being sport specific and keeping it relative to what you're doing because it's all well and good getting your Joe Blogs PT getting you just like, you know, go for a run, lift up, do some bicep curls and you're away. No, it's your hands-on experience and obviously with that there's a lot of things to take from that it's you've you've had to do things technically you've had to do things properly like not having the strength advantage well not not the general rule of thumb anyway and then having to compensate with your technique with your heart and everything else no it's right yeah you're right so this is where your coaching really shines through in the way you explain things the way you do it from a place of you have to do it right like there's no there's a compromise for doing it wrong laziness isn't an excuse and all this kind of thing and again, no, your, your and ethos of you've done it yourself, so you wouldn't yeah. ask them to do something you wouldn't do or haven't done. No, no, exactly. And it's a mental training as well but behind it. You have to train your brain as much as you do your body when you're doing this. You're putting yourself in for a fight. It's not a natural thing. Um, you, your brain will, in training, your brain will give up before your body does. So you have to train your brain to go through that. And in a fight... Your, your mind will give up before your body does, and you will be arguing with your mind, and you have to train that. Um, some, you know, and you know some people have got it, some people haven't. Um, and so you have to get that out of them in their training. If they can't get through it in their training, you, can, you should never, be able, never put them in an arena where they're gonna get, potentially going to get hurt. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So before I let you go and tend to your growling dog, so to speak, um, I've got a couple of like, Can you hear her? <laughs> yeah, a couple of FAQs. She's snoring. She's not growling. For um, any women looking to get into the sport, so what advice would you give to a girl or woman aimed aimed ugh, planning to get into an MMA gym? Say you come to BST, age I don't know. 17, 18, thinking, okay, I want to give something a mm -hmm. go. What is your initial advice for someone being a bit apprehensive? Um, just do it. I mean, that is my advice. It's, it's 
I can totally understand walking into a martial arts Honestly, walking into a martial arts gym, if you've never done it before, must be so intimidating. Um, and I completely get that. But they've just got to take the plunge. We're such a friendly bunch in the gym. Um, as you know, it, it, we're like a big family. Um, and once you get through those doors, uh, you'll be fine. So just literally do it. Just bite the bullet and do it. Apprehension is like I think the worst enemy for most people when it comes to going these new environments and what ifs and that and the others. When realistically, I don't know, it's better to. It's the way I explain it to a few people is, it's like explaining what it's like. It's in a swimming pool with like being wet, like without having done it. Like you just can't explain it and you can't give a justifiable explanation. You just have to do it to figure it out yourself and then you have your own experience of what it means to you and how you interpret that. And again, there's um next sort of point on the same kind of topic yeah is um apprehensions with training with guys if there's no girls in the class oh yeah sorry can you say that again dan because you cut out say it again yeah sorry the signal's cutting out so again what if there's no go i might have lost you so, can you hear me again oh yeah yes yeah. So the question being is, so again, apprehension about coming to a class. Yeah, if there's no girls in the class. Yeah, what if there's no girls in the class and they have to train with guys? Um, the guys aren't going to, um, they're not going to take advantage of you because you're, or what I mean is they're not going to go 100% on you because you're female. Um, everybody is completely accommodating. Um, it shouldn't matter whether you're a female or you're a beginner uh, or, or, you know, a guy that's coming in as a beginner. There's no difference, really. Um, you'll be treated the same. Um, nobody's going to take advantage and you're not going to get hurt, basically. The coaches are there to stop any of this. I mean, no one, it just doesn't happen. We've got very professional coaches. It's a very safe environment. There's not just one coach in the classes either. You'll often find that there's a couple in the co in the class, even if they're training. Um, so there should be no apprehension at all. I do get that there is, but it's a very safe environment. And this is a huge thing why I wanted to speak to you about this, because outside of your own career, it is so impressive how much you've built this female community within the gym. Like there's there individuals like who have their own like ethos of coming in without any sort of I don't know prerequisites. But the fact you've managed to get these sort of people who are completely out of their comfort zone to really find their community, I think it's so important to really I don't know express that and give people in a similar sort of boat a bit more of an an opportunity really to understand they're not on their own there are places that cater for those kind of people who don't want to be in these particularly male dominated sports it is a as the i think it's becoming more modern becoming more unisex becoming more for everyone in the truest sense um yeah it definitely definitely is where can people find you um you can find me on instagram my name is chops mum C-H-O-P-S-M-U-M. Chops is my old dog. Um, and on Facebook, Claire Riley. All or at BST. There we are. All <laughs> that will be in the description. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on MaulerMMA.com.